Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar, and we have with us on the line Arlen Kulwick, he is the co-founder of BlockNet. Arlen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Juliet. It's, it's great to be here. So why don't you go ahead and give us a little insight into what BlockNet is and what it does. All right. The BlockNet is about interoperability between blockchains. There are two ways to understand this. Um, so I'll give you both of them because it has relevance to two different industries, you might call. The first is um, that... Currently, the internet is mostly what we call the API ecosystem. Um, so if, for example, you're the developer and you're building a web page or an app, um, you won't typically build most of the functionality. It already exists. Um, so for example, if you want your users to pay for something, you'll, uh, you'll integrate to a so-called API of a payment gateway, and they will handle the uh, the communication with the Visa and MasterCard networks, etc. Similarly, um, you might want to just use some API for login, like Facebook or Google or something like that, instead of writing your own and writing your own database to handle everything. And so in the end, what, what, uh, what I'm getting to is that when you're building an app in the, the normal centralized world away from blockchains, your app is basically mostly just logic that coordinates the invoking of one or another API and gets them all working in sequence so that it makes sense. Now, um, 
currently in the world of blockchains, if you're if you're writing a smart contract or a DAP, um, you have to do everything by hand. It's crypto, so it's generally pretty difficult work. Um, there are no APIs to you know services on other blockchains. So if you want a feature that's on a different blockchain, you basically have to build it on your blockchain and then use it, um, which is a crazy situation. It's tremendously inefficient and it's not very secure either. Um, so what we are doing is we are enabling um, services on one blockchain and another to function um, and to be exposed via what you might call decentralized APIs um, so that when you're building a DAP or any service really, you can consume the technologies on the thousands of blockchains in existence already and whatever comes in the future using our infrastructure that will enable you to, to access these services. Uh, so to put it, put it sort of in a nutshell, we're decentralizing the API ecosystem. Um, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, but um, the other component of this is, or the other perspective on this, is that if you've built something on a blockchain, some useful service, maybe it's, say, decentralized storage, but like Dropbox, but you know, without the servers and the entity you have to trust, um, you have a challenge in that the only people who can consume your service and, um, and therefore your target market pretty much needs to download your blockchain and maintain it and do all this work, which means, firstly, uh, you don't get to access all the other communities using all the other blockchains in existence, and there really are a lot of communities. Um, and, um, you know, secondly, your, your service is, is just, it's not, uh, it, it can't be used as, a kind of a generic service for any other purpose. It only can be consumed by your applications that you build on, on your blockchain. Um, whereas, you know, if it were available to anyone on other blockchains or, or elsewhere, then they could use whatever you provide for all kinds of interesting purposes that you wouldn't have to think up, and you wouldn't have to maintain. And um, yet, uh, of course, your, your service would be consumed, and that's how, if you design it properly, you would make money out of, out of what you do. Um, so in other words, we want an internet of blockchains to massively increase the target market of any blockchain technology, while at the same time we want to decentralize the API ecosystem. That's, uh, that's my quick summary of, of what the blocknet is. <laughs> that's very thorough, um, and thank you for that. Why, why would people not want to bridge these communities? I mean, is, there, is there any incentive for people not to, to be involved in, in the way that you were just talking about? Um, Let's say there are only perverse incentives not to want to. Um, it's a little bit surprising, but the, currently I think um, there, there are incentives within specific blockchain communities to uh, be so-called maximalists. Um, and mm -hmm. as far as I can tell, the reason that that happens is that they think of their own project in competition with other similar projects, and they just, because they're stuck in that approach. They just don't entertain the idea of the ecosystem that's emerging as we speak. And they, they don't see the tremendous benefits to their own community of there being an ecosystem so that whatever they build can be consumed by anyone and that they can actually build a business on that. Um, and a, a funny decentralized business where there is no legal business, but all the nodes on the network get to get to make money out of, out of providing the service. So I guess um, it's I, I guess it's just one of these strange phenomena that we have at the moment just because it's early in the development of blockchain technology and people haven't quite 
thought through what it means to, to be an Internet of blockchains. Exactly. Some people still have a scarcity mentality that, that there can only be one winner in the blockchain world or one big company to rule them all. But in fact, yeah, exactly. that's kind of going against that's kind of going against what blockchain even stands for. You know, it's blockchain is all about community. It's all about using each other and it's and your services to just get to a better end goal. Yeah, I think you put it very well. Um, and one of the the biggest ironies in this whole question is um like I don't think anyone would disagree that Bitcoin was created to decentralize the financial system or maybe just money or something. Um, but the really weird thing about that is that it doesn't decentralize anything unless it exists in a decentralized ecosystem. Because, I mean, if you look at the, the, the ecosystem around Bitcoin now, um, there's Bitcoin, which is wonderful decentralized money. But then to buy it or sell it, you're pretty much going to use a centralized exchange, which is you know, a third party, which is regulatable and has downtime and gets hacked and might be fraudulent and all the rest of the, the, the things that Bitcoin was explicitly created to rule out. So Bitcoin itself can't even achieve its mission without a decentralized ecosystem around it. Exactly. Everything needs that. You can't, you can't exist in a vacuum. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, our mission is not something that we are we're going to hoard or hold on to or try to be, be monopolistic about. Um, it's just very clear to us that the, what, what a few projects have been calling the Internet of Blockchains is a necessary thing. It's an important innovation to remove all the corruption in not only the financial world, but as far as I can tell, literally everything that's bureaucratic. Um, and um, it's an important thing for anyone who believes in Bitcoin. And there are tremendous um, cost savings and user experience savings for anyone who's used to the API ecosystem and is used to, say, the very high user friction and um, and the costs that you that you involve whenever you want to pay for anything, um, while of course you know there's the other side where they're used to all the convenience of invoking just about any API they want and want the same thing in the blockchain space so that they can leverage the relatively frictionless payments and the permissionless nature of all of it um, without having to pay the price of hand coding every single function in their in their application. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about uh, BlockDX. Is the uh, uh, protocol that you're, yeah, you're going into that a little bit. Okay, yeah. Um, BlockDX is the first application built on our platform. Um, it is a decentralized exchange, and um, as far as I can tell, and I'd like to encourage you and everyone listening to do their own research because clearly I'm, I have a conflict of interest in saying this. But <laughs> as far as I can tell, we're, we're the only decentralized exchange out there. I need to qualify what I mean. Um, basically, it's it's been about a year since very many projects realized that they could implement atomic swaps um, and that it wasn't incredibly difficult to do. So um, it means that, you know, all kinds of coins, wallets, and all kinds of other things calling themselves decentralized exchanges now have the ability to do an atomic swap um, between one party and another party. And it's kind of beautiful when it happens because... If you do it right, there, there's literally no counterparty risk and there is no third party in the middle. Um, however, being an exchange is quite a lot more than just having an atomic swap. Um, and that's because exchanges have quite a few functions, and there are at least four. Um, you're going to need somewhere to you know, put capital. So in a centralized exchange, obviously, you send your money over to you know, the exchange and they, they keep it for you. Um, 
Secondly, you're going to need um, a way of broadcasting orders to users. Um, and thirdly, you're going to need a way of matching orders between users. And fourthly, then you're going to have settlement, which is the transfer of underlying, underlying value to you know, whoever bought what. Um, now, atomic swaps only do the settlement. Um, they can't do any of the rest of that. And so what I've seen is that um, people build an atomic swap, which is great, by the way, but then they'll basically use some servers to do the order system. Um, and in the worst cases, they'll, they won't even do atomic swaps across blockchains. They'll basically build some color coins on top of their blockchain um, and make you park your real crypto somewhere um, that, and then trust them not to steal it. And then you, busy, you, you go off and you trade your, their colored coins. Um, which doesn't even decentralize the, the, the capital deposit aspect of this. Um, and, <laughs> and then when you think about it, that's exactly what you do when you go to Poloniex and you know deposit your bitcoins with them and trade. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, I mean, wh what do we want in a decentralized exchange? We want for it to be impossible for the exchange to fake orders, to sell data about where your stocks are, um, we want to make it impossible for people to front run. Um, and that, that's all related to the order system. And then, of course, we really, really don't want it to be possible for the exchange to get hacked and for everyone to lose their coins. Um, so, you know, it makes sense to keep your coins in your own wallet at all times. And in doing so, if everyone does that, you distribute the risk right across the edges of the network. And so if anyone hacks you, it's only you, lucky for everybody else. And also, you know, the amount of effort it would take to hack just your small number of coins is um, quite quite a lot for a relatively small reward compared to you know hacking a centralized exchange for a colossal mountain of crypto um, and maybe a more effort but not that much more effort. Um, so anyway, uh, the benefits are multiple, but the, to to really get to the benefits does require decentralizing all four functions of an exchange, and I have not seen anyone doing that. Um, except for what we've been trying to do with the BlockNet. We have a decentralized order book system. Um, you keep your coins in your wallet at all times. Uh, there's literally no third party there. And um, for the settlement, we use atomic swaps. Uh, that definitely sounds like a, like a safer option and something that is very yeah. needed in this world right now. And it's, it's, it's just kind of the next step to really bring crypto into the forefront of people's minds and make it more accessible to more people if they're feeling like they can handle handle it. You know, a lot of people are just not coming into yeah. the world because they're worried. They're worried. They're afraid. They're afraid of being hacked, or they think, you know, oh, I'll, I don't. I'll just keep it yeah. in my hard wallet, which then they're not contributing to the market. And <laughs> yeah, that's too. I mean, it's it is a big thing. And I, I mean, I've been talking about all this stuff about decentralization, but I mean, if anything, it's it's equally challenging to get good user experiences in crypto. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. it's 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 very difficult. Like for in Bitcoin, for example, um, there are just a lot of concepts that are very strange, and it's quite hard to make a wallet look and feel normal. Um, and it's always going to be difficult to help people to become their own bank, where they really do look after their own money and they're not just trusting someone else to do it. So I, I think we're a long way to go. The industry is a long way to go with that, and um, we're, we're trying our best. I mean. Um, you know, the the BlockNet, for example, got a, a really great design design company in um, in the states to to do our front end for the for for BlockDX. Um, I think it looks amazing. Uh, once we finished 
a, a large amount of automation in the background, then it'll self-configure and won't take you know effort to, to set up. And it'll look and feel like a normal exchange. It'll you'll experience it in an identical way to how you experience any of the centralized exchanges. And with any like that'll help bridge the gap and we'll get people using it. Absolutely. You know, it's almost I just sort of thought that, you know, cryptocurrencies are almost like you're going back to being a kid again where you're getting an allowance and you have tangible money in your pocket and you have nowhere to put it but your piggy bank. And if your friends know where that is, they <laughs> could steal it or you know, you're you are your own little bank and people are so used to to just giving away that responsibility to their financial financial institutions. You know, people don't want to be responsible yeah. for their own things because that's a lot of pressure and, you know, they're not used yeah. to being responsible for their own stuff. No, I agree. It's a, it's a different mentality. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever started your own business, but um, to me it feels quite similar to, to starting to own your own crypto. I mean, if you're employed by someone else, you get your paycheck every month, taxes deducted, you don't have to think too hard about it. Um, you, you know you're getting your salary and that's great. Um, whereas, you know, if you've, if you've started your own business, your income is down to your ingenuity and your effort and how few nights you sleep when things are hard. And um, you're exposed. <laughs> you, you feel the exposure. You feel the forces of the market on your person. It's difficult. And I think um, the current state of crypto is quite similar. Uh, when you've got this, these, these coins that only you're responsible for and you've got to look, out, look after them. That makes you think and it makes you start discovering all the ways in which you, you could lose them or get hacked or everything else. And it's, it's kind of emotional, especially if you end up buying a lot and you have to try to work out how to keep them really safe. It's a, it's a crazy new world. But I think there's going to be some good innovations eventually that, that take all the, the fear and the complexity out of it. Absolutely. And Blocknet also offers a wallet. So you could use these, your exchange and the wallet in tandem. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, you have to. Um, I mean, the, the exchange doesn't work without integrating to whichever wallet you have on your computer um, because, mm. of course, we don't want to keep any anyone else's money ever. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, currently you'll, you'll download the, the exchange app, BlockDX, um, and then you can download, a, say, a Bitcoin wallet and a Litecoin wallet or, you know, literally hundreds of wallets to choose from. We've done quite a lot of testing to get all these things working. Um and then from there, um, the wallet, I mean, the, the, the app, BlockDX, integrates to the APIs of the wallets that you're running in your computer and talks to them and off you go and you start trading. And it works on OS, it works on Linux, it works on Windows, and so you've got those bases covered. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it, it makes sense. I mean, we, we want to allow people to, to, to use it on whichever hardware they, they think is, is best. Um, yeah. Some people like security, so they want to run Debian or, or maybe Ubuntu or something. Um, most people have, you know, just a normal Windows laptop from work, and if they want to use it on that, they can use it, um, or, or yeah. iOS, which, whichever one it is. I think we're, um, we're very keen on going mobile at the earliest opportunity. I mean, for obvious reasons, right? Most of the internet is on mobile at the moment, and um, you know, if you if you're on your phone and you can trade, it's it's massively more convenient. So I think uh, one of our, our upcoming milestones is a so-called SPV wallet. Um, I don't know if you know what it is. Uh, basically, it's it's in Satoshi Nakamoto's original Bitcoin white paper. It's just a way of um, checking what's going on in a blockchain without having the entire blockchain on your device. So if we implement um, 
two wallets, so several different wallets. They all use SPV. Uh, you never have to have the whole blockchain of any of those on your on your device, and it doesn't look too tricky to put that on a phone and allow people to trade on a mobile device. So that's coming. And especially with the market being a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week market, the importance of having the market in your pocket on your cell phone or on your mobile device is really important. <laughs> so I'm glad that's that's oh, the next absolutely. step for you guys. Yeah, it's. I mean, I discovered that personally recently. Um, for one reason or another, I had a Windows 10 phone for quite a long time. Um, <laughs> and it was an amazing phone. It had the best camera I've ever had on a phone. I just literally never used my, my professional camera. Um, but, you know, it, it broke. And then I got an Android phone. And then there are all these magnificent mobile apps for trading and doing many other things. And the convenience is enormous. The, the, the difference in being able to just pick up your phone and have you know a fingerprint scanner or something authenticate you, and then off you go and you can trade, compared to having to like get back to your laptop and open up a browser and be you know seated in more or less one place. I mean that it makes an enormous difference. So Blocknet is is pretty keen on on, on nailing that down as as soon as we can. Give us a little bit of background about yourself. I mean you founded you co-founded Blocknet and give us a little history about you know how you got into this world. All right. Um, well, I I actually have a background in analytical philosophy, um, and it was um, 2012 or 2013 that I, I was doing some research. Um, I was in Oxford, and one of the components of my research is a thing that some people call metaethics, um, looking into the like what value is, or how you get a thing like value in the first place, um, and somehow the original Bitcoin white paper came up. Um, and like, it's kind of crazy, but there's one sentence in that paper which, um, which tied into this, this tangential line of research that I was on. Um, it is, it, 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 I'll quote it, it's, I define a coin as a chain of digital signatures. Now, what that implies is that um, a coin, you know, a, a measure of the value of something isn't an object in its own right. It just literally is the set of relationships that you know the coin has, has passed through. Um, it's kind of incredible, and that mystified me and got me interested, and possibly gave me a couple of interesting ideas. But the effect of of of, uh, of picking that up is that I read the white paper, and I was blown away by its ingenuity and by how clearly it, it explained some difficult stuff. Um, and from there, I was hooked. Uh, I read all about Bitcoin. I researched for. I don't know, nine months or something until I, I knew it down to the byte level. Um, and at some point, I started working for a, a crypto, a young crypto startup called X Currency. Um, and then um, something like a year later, that led to a number of conversations that ended up being what the blocknet became. Um, we were thinking about decentralizing the internet. We we're thinking about privacy. We we're thinking about you know encryption and all the bits and pieces that make up the world of crypto as we know it today. And um, yeah, uh, it was by, what is it, October 2014 that we launched the BlockNet. Um, and yeah, we're still going now. That's fantastic. And just such a, such a nice it's little roadmap cool. to where you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a nice way to so have gotten into it too. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, carry on. No, no, it's a nice way to get, go ahead. Oh, um, well, uh, you know, for me, it started with research. It started with um, kind of, a real love for the beauty of the technology and for its for its ingenuity, for how it, I mean, it just 
never ceases to amaze me how um, you can actually do things in a so-called trustless way. And that still is, is my driving thought here with, with all of this stuff. I mean, there's seldom a day where, where I'm not thinking about whether we can't just disintermediate something in the world that is prone to corruption or grossly inefficient or whatever else. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And like, I think maybe if I'd gotten in for you know, profit motives or something else, then I just wouldn't have been as driven by the, the potential and the ingenuity and, as I said, what I, what I, what I experience is the beauty of this technology. Absolutely, and and the possibilities are endless. Yeah, we're, we've barely gotten started, I think. <laughs> so, where can people find out more about BlockNet and get involved with your with your wallets and your and the BlockDX? How can people get involved with all that? All right. Well, um, I think the the easiest way is to just download our software. So, um, BlockNet.co. Uh, that is our website, and if you go there, you can get BlockDX. You can get the BlockNet wallet, um, and additionally, there is a whole bunch of documentation to help you get off, off the ground. Um, because our software is just in beta, it's a good idea to do a couple of other things in addition to just downloading the software. Um, the best thing you can do is join our Discord channel. Um, that will give you a whole community of people who I think are tremendously welcoming and a really nice bunch of people. Um, if you have questions or things you don't understand or if you're stuck on some problem somewhere, then there are probably like a, literally 100 people online at any point who will be keen to, to help you and a few thousand in total. Um, additionally, we have um, guides and other resources like a cool little website someone built um, that provides an up-to-date list of all the wallets that currently work with our, with our technology. Um, and little config, config files if you want to manually configure the, the uh, block DX to work. All kinds of resources like that. They, they are linked to on the website, so you can see those. Um, so the website is definitely your first, your first port of call. Um, but yeah, don't stop there. Um, get involved. Uh, then when it comes to buying and selling BlockNet tokens, um, there are a number of exchanges, um, Bittrex being the most prominent one, um, and... Uh, Quite a few others, including Cryptopia. So um, if you're using any of them, uh, you can find a list, again, online. And you can go from there. Wonderful. Just so many different resources and and different things to, to be involved in. Well, Arlen, thank you so much for coming on and teaching us about BlockNet and really opening our eyes to the possibilities and potential of the future here. Yeah, well, thank you. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk about, um, well, not, not specifically the BlockNet, but also just blockchain technology and um, what it's what it's here for. Absolutely, and it, and how it's going to be implemented into our into our future, and and hopefully change for good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, maybe as a last remark on this, it's it's an interesting thing to um to look at technological disruption historically. Um, there's seldom been a point in, for example, the development of capitalism where um after some kind of crisis, some depression, there hasn't been a wave of new disruptive and um, frankly, alarming technologies that have, that have developed. They've always had downsides. They've always had things that make people concerned or scared, and it's never been possible to tell just what's going to happen or how they're going to work or if they're going to make a whole mess of the world. Um, but it's always been the case that they enable radically better production and they rearrange the social relations between people. Now, 
at the moment there are a whole lot of you know there's a lot of fear mongering around blockchain tech and there's you know a bunch of regulators making all kinds of aggressive moves from time to time, from time to time um, and then you know there's some really perverse stuff going on about you know surveillance and how <laughs> thing you know decentralized tech kind of makes that incredibly difficult and therefore you know decentralized tech is bad because surveillance is apparently good um, I'll leave that <laughs> where it stands there but the, the main the main point is that um we're on the edge of a, a, a really, really terrific piece of innovation that hasn't quite turned into a lot of good use cases yet. But people can see the risks, and some of us can see the, the tremendous benefits. Um, but I, I think the way forward is um, it's not to be kind of retrograde about it and <laughs> shrink back from it because it may have downsides or it's alarming. Technology is always alarming. It's the nature of it to be disruptive. It doesn't just incrementally increase slowly and in, in a kind of a peaceful manner. Um, but we're on the edge of something amazing. And um, I think that, you know, it, it's important for us to figure out how best to use it, how to, how to solve really big problems, really important problems, um, and in, essentially just to put this technology to work. Because the fact of the matter is it's not going away. Um, and depending on how things work, it might essentially kind of militarize itself quickly if the regulators attack it too much. Or um, if they don't, then, you know, you might get all kinds of use cases and some of them might be horrible, some of them might be good. But whatever happens, the fundamental challenge remains the same, which is just to figure out how to use it well. And that, to me, is the task at hand, and there's essentially no stopping that. No, and that's, and that's such a good point, and I wish we could keep talking about it. We're running out of time, but it's, it's so true, all, all that you're saying, and the people need to just find find the, the, the high points in it and, and latch onto those to create a better world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait. I'm looking at, I don't know, five, maybe 10 years' time, we'll have an ecosystem of blockchain services that's as mature as the API ecosystem is today, in which you can basically dial in literally anything out there and, um, at the, all, and, and throughout the entire process be preserving the, the sovereignty of your users keeping them at the edges of the network with no central entity, um, allowing them to, to remain private if they want to remain private, allowing these services to, um, to be monetized almost frictionlessly, um, which then ushers in a whole bunch of really crazy new business models um, and gives us a world that is politically and socially very different to what it is today. Personally, I think that's a very good thing. I don't like the continual abuses via centralized entities that I see every single day, whether it's political or whether it's financial or whether it's just straight-up bureaucratic. I think that stuff has had its time and it's time for it to go. The age, the new era is coming in. Indeed. <laughs> It'd be great if, um, if we can play our part in, in ushering it in. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Arling, th Alan, thank you so much for, for joining us today and we're looking forward to all the new developments you guys are coming up with. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time, Julia. It's great to be on the podcast. That was Arlen Colwick. He is the co-founder of BlockNet. You can learn more about BlockNet at blocknet.co. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. 
Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.